The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. Let's, uh, let's jump into ours. Uh, so really excited to kick this study off. Uh, my name is David Fromm, by the way. I attend the church and. Uh, they asked if anyone wanted to jump at teaching, uh, something that's fundamental to our faith, hence uh, the study that's holding in your hand is called Fundamentals of Faith, put out by John MacArthur's Kurt Church. So it's a really good intro into a lot of the foundational truths and doctrines that uphold our faith as a whole. So where, where, where should we start first? Of course, with the Bible. Get a little feedback here, Chris. Do I need to just get closer to the microphone? I just feel like I'm, I, don't, I don't want to yell or project too much and then get too loud. But anyway, uh, so yes, we want to start with the introduction to the Bible. And that's what we're going to look at today. And I've got about five portions of Scripture we're going to cover. We'll get to them in depth as we work through the lesson. Uh, we'll be hitting Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, 1 through 9, 2 Timothy uh, 3, 14 through 17, John 1, 1 through 5, and then Psalm 19, and then Hebrews 4, 11 through 13, just kind of kind of start gearing you towards what we, what God says about his word and how it speaks to itself. But I kind of want to kick us off and look at some of the confessions uh, from earlier church, from early church history. I like to refer to it as family history, since this is the church, and there's been a lot of good, very smart men and women that have come together and have refined and codified what it means to believe and trust in the Word of God. So I'll start with the London Baptist Convention of 1689. And this is their statement on Holy Scripture. And it says, The Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable, yet... Are they not sufficient to give the knowledge of God and, and his will, which is necessary unto salvation? So just kind of remember these things as we work through our lesson tonight. Therefore, it pleased the Lord at, sun, at sundry times and in drivers' manners uh, to reveal himself and to declare that his will unto his church and afterward for the better preserving and propagating of the truth and for the sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh, the malice of Satan, and the world to commit the same holy unto writing which maketh the holy scriptures to be the most necessary, those former ways of God revealing his will unto his people being now ceased." And then uh, systematic theology, Wayne Gruneman had this statement on the authority of Scripture, means that all the words in, strips, in Scripture are God's words in which a way that to dis, disbelieve or disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. And then the commentator, Albert Barnes, wrote that Scripture lacks nothing for its completeness, nothing in order that it might be that, excuse me, that it might be what it should be, it is complete as a revelation of divine truth. It is complete as a rule of conduct. It is absolutely true. It is adapted with consummate wisdom to the needs of man, and it is unerring guide of contact. There is nothing there which would lead men into error 
or sin. There is nothing essential for man to know which may not be found there. So I just kind of wanted to set the stage for our approach to Scripture and what other individuals have taken away. And then John MacArthur says, Man's reasoning is imperfect, but God's word is perfect, containing everything necessary for your spiritual life. It is comprehensive that it can restore your soul, that it... That is, convert, revive, refresh, and transform every aspect of your being to make you precisely the person God wants you to be. All right, so that's the stage concerning Scripture and what other individuals' takeaways are. And then last two more quotes. I had a lot of fun researching this. So uh, Thomas Watson said, Nothing can cut diamond but diamond. Nothing can interpret Scripture but Scripture. And then John Calvin said, Scripture is superior to all human wisdom. All right, so I think we're ready to dive into this. But before we do, I would just like to pray for us quickly, and then we'll jump into it. The uh, one, one quick thing on the study guide, I'll kind of touch in on that uh, briefly, but um, I'll try to do my best to answer some of the questions, but I think mainly that's some, uh, some work for you to do as well. Uh, also, the handouts that were printed out do contain some of the answers, but if we need to cover those, just let me know. You can always raise your hand and interrupt me, so I'm just here to work through this with you. But, all right, join me in prayer. Gracious Father God, thank you for, our, for this opportunity to meet tonight to discuss your word, to discuss the inerrancy of, word, of your word, to discuss the clarity of your word, and to discuss the, the, the efficiency of your word. Uh, guard my, my mouth against error. I pray that I may speak clearly, and all of it will be edifying and glorifying to you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's jump into it. So, um, I want to start with Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 9. And let us use this to set the stage for our introduction to the Bible and what that means to us as Christians. We're going to see several things today, tonight, and we're mainly going to look at revelation. There's special revelation, and there's natural revelation. So we'll kind of plug those two into our memory banks for uh, terms and definitions. Those are always good to operate out of, so we want to make sure we're operating out of the correct terminology in dealing with God's Word. So let's start in Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. This is, what, this is what God's Word says. This is the command, the statutes and ordinance. The Lord your God has instructed to me to teach you so that you may follow them in the land you are about to in, enter and, and possess. Do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all his statutes and commands. I give you your son, your grandson, so that you may have a long you may have a long life. Listen, Israel, be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly because the word, excuse me, the Lord, the God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen, Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lay down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So this is a strong reminder of to Israel at the time to, re, to be keeping the Lord's commands at their forefront, at their, at their, as the structure for their lifestyle as they were getting ready to enter the land of Canaan or the, the promised land. 
not, I can't even apologize. So, so we know that there are two categories of revelations. We have natural revelations, as we said before, and special revelations. So let's take a closer look at what special revel, uh, excuse me, natural revelations. Look at special revelations. Just natural revelation sets the stage for special revelation. So let me dig into my notes quickly. All right, so, so first, thing, first thing we said, natural revelation or general revelation mainly sprouts from general revelation is revelation of God that has been given to all people at all times. And we know, we can definitely see this in Romans chapter 1, 19 through 20, where it says that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. So we see that it's, it's displayed in external creation, and it's also written on man's heart so that he is without excuse. He can't say God doesn't exist because we see that our society in general already draws laws off a moral code. So where does that moral code come from? It kind of gives us that ability to argue logically to, uh, to unbelievers when they say, well, you know, you know, how do you know you're not supposed to murder somebody? Where does that come from? How do you know you're not supposed to steal from somebody? How do you know if you're in a, in a, if you're a, in a marriage relationship that you should not cheat on your wife or cheat on your husband. Where do those laws come from? And so we know that Romans 1, cha- chapter 1, 19 through 20 does illustrate that. So speaking of that, I would just like to put that in context. So I'm going to jump over to Romans quickly. And let me hop there quickly. I didn't, I didn't tab out my Bible. Maybe I should have done that. Um, anyway, um, just wanted to make sure we have the stage set correctly. And here we go. All right, so we'll we'll back up to 18, just kind of keep it in its context. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godliness, all, yeah, all godliness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since that, since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them for the creation, from the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is his eternal and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. So there, so there's the foundation of which we stand on when we're speaking to other non-believers concerning the evidence of general revelation. We see it as written on man's heart. So it's hard for man to ultimately deny that unless they're just complete, completely pushed off that um, that revelation. So we, I mean, we're all we're all warring against that. Our flesh is warring against the general revelation of God's word as within our hearts. So, so, um, so we see that there are also in, invisible attributes, namely His internal power and divine nature, uh, have been clearly perceived. Even in creation, we can we can see order and structure within creation. Although creation is groaning under sin, it is still orderly. We, we see that, uh, for example, we can take animal kinds and how animal kinds are structured with the kinds. So like for the dog kind, it stays within its kind. We don't see cats and dogs co-mingling in that sense, but they stay within their kind. So there's structure, there's order uh, there. So general revelation excuse me, shows attributes of God, such as his existence, his power, creativity, and his wisdom. So in addition, the testimony of human conscience also provides some evidence of God's moral standards in all human beings, as, as we just recently uh, covered th- uh, from Romans chapter 1. Uh, chapter 2 also illustrates this further, and I'll, I'll hit that for us. Romans two fourteen through 15 says this, So, when Gentiles who do not have the law instinctively do what the law demands, they are law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. 
They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their conscience testify in support of this, and, and their completing thoughts enter uh, either, ex, excuse me, ex, either excuse, uh, excuse me, either assess or excuse them. So on the day of the Lord judges what people have kept secret according to my gospel through Jesus Christ. So there's another supporting uh, scripture that drives home the general or, uh, as, the, as, a, as the study book says, natural revelation. So as, as it says, through creation and through conscience, we see God's word is revealed in creation. And it also, like, as I said earlier, does display characteristics of God. So we can also use what we see around us as support to, to point towards the attributes of God. And, it's, and yes, Greg? Oh, no, you're fine. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of, am, I'm just kind of. Um, so the, the teaching portion is slightly different from, yeah, unfortunately not. Yeah, unfortunately not. But but the handouts do do cover that, uh, like the books of the Bible, it, it hits on where those go in the, in the answer key. So that, that's that's why that's why I gave uh, gave you the handout for that. Um, so so you can kind of uh, work through that, fill in the answers. Um, but I know, yeah, I think it more hits more on just the books of the Bible. But then this lesson dives deeper in, into that. So yeah, I, I thought I thought the questions followed it a little bit more closely but, but thank you for bringing that up no you're fine you're fine uh, but um, I'll go back and hit uh, Christ in the Bible if, if that's helpful so well, that's a good question fair question all right so well we were talking about uh, general or natural revelation right all right very good so uh, how has God revealed himself to man I'll throw the question out Right. Right. And what else? Right. Yeah, we're getting there. And the special revelation is more geared towards us as believers and understanding the, as, I, as uh, we mentioned, clarity, sufficiency, and inerrancy of God's word. So uh, another question for you. What does creation show us about God? What, is he, what does creation show us about God? Right? Right, so that's one of his attributes, right? And it's not always evident, right? So there's kind of his invisible attributes, but they're on display for us through creation. All right, so uh, just to wrap up for general revelation. So general revelation does not necessarily provide the knowledge. It does provide the understanding that, okay, yes, there is something going on here. It's not chaos and disorder. There is order to creation. But it's, only, but it's not the true solution to man's guilt before God. So we know that man is still guilty before God. But yet, this general revelation does not provide the knowledge or the complete understanding just by observing creation. So unfortunately, if someone tries to say they're, they're they, you know, through creation they may have gotten saved, that's, we might want to dig in a little bit more and see what exactly they mean. Because general revelation is not going to bring them to the knowledge of God unless they're studying God's word or necessarily the forgiveness of sins that comes through Jesus Christ. And that's by the preaching of the word, sharing of the gospel, helping them understand or complete that knowledge of which they might be struggling with. So this means general revelation does not provide 
personal knowledge of God as a loving father who redeems his people and establishes a covenant with them. And this is where we get to bring them in deep dive into the Bible even more. So this is why one needs special revelation, our next step in just in what it means for God's word in revelation to us. And he has provided a historical supernatural activities in the Bible and in the divinity which we see in Jesus Christ. So let's dive into that. So I, I know, has anyone ever had their faith attacked through the Bible by them questioning the accuracy of the Bible? Has anyone tried to say, oh, it was written by, you know, several men over thousands of years. And how do you know it's accurate? Oh, excuse me. And, you know, there's all these grammatical errors. But yet, there are answers for those things. And I know, like, sometimes I get, I, I get jammed up sometimes when I get hit that question. Like, oh, yeah, well, you know, like, I kind of have to take a step back and really think through what they're, what they're questioning. So God, so the Bible is God's written word of who he is and what he has done in redemptive history. So I always enjoy looking to scripture, and scripture answers this question for us. So let's go to 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. And this, this is all I go to verse for this. Uh, so let's jump over to Second Timothy. A bit of a Bible drill tonight, but this is always the fun part, right? And I always enjoy a little interaction. So if someone has it, wouldn't mind reading that aloud for us? So Second Timothy chapter 3, 14 through 17. Absolutely. Amen to that. So we'll go back to 16 and just kind of reiterate that again. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, which we're doing tonight, for rebuking. That's a tough word sometimes. It's hard to get rebuked, doesn't it? Oh, man, that that runs up against my pride hard. And for correcting and for training in righteousness. Righteousness is also gears us towards sanctification. All right. So, as I mentioned earlier, remember the, uh, uh, remember when I talked about Scripture interprets Scripture? Uh, remember uh, Thomas Watson saying, nothing can interpret Scripture but Scripture? So, let's dig in a, few, a little bit more. So, we see that 2 Timothy gives us this context, but let's find some more Scripture to back that up. So, let's turn over to John chapter 1, 1 through 5, and we're going to see another a theme here. So, let me, I'll, I'll go ahead and grab this for us. John 1, chapter uh Chapter 1, verse 1, I'm going to take it all the way through 5. So, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, no one thing was created that has been created. Life was in him, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. So, so we see here that there's a reinforcement of in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. What's the word? The word is scripture, scripture that is breathed out through God. And, and all of this is profitable for us to continue to dive into it, draw it, study it. And it's always good. I know like some folks try to say, you know, like make sure you study the Bible, look through the Bible. I like to read the Bible 
like like it's a book. It's a great book. I mean, it, well, the nice thing is it's divided up nicely for us, so we can drop in at certain times and and, and continue it. But it has this golden thread woven all the way through it. Um, so we'll, we'll we'll flush that out later. But uh, let's look over at Psalm 19, and we're going to see some more support for what we're looking at from a scripture standpoint. So Psalm 19. Is, is anyone does anyone know this one? This one's kind of familiar to me. So Psalm 19. And I'm not going to cover the whole verse, uh, but there's a lot of good uh, reinforcement here that we see in the New Testament, that we see in the Old Testament here coming from Psalms. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The sky proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the inhabited world. In the heaven, he has pitched a tent for the sun. So we see here, this is kind of the reinforcement of the, the natural revelation that we see before. That, that it's evident that God's hand is revealed to us through creation. So we see Psalms right here points to that. Then we, then we get later into Psalms 19. Uh, We'll pick it up at verse 7. It says here, The instruction of the Lord is perfect, revealing the soul. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. So how do we gain this? By studying his word, right? The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The commands of the Lord are radiant, making the eyes light up. So we see that these are instructions for us, that these are guidelines, that these are laws that are placed down for us, the moral law for us to follow, to to compare our imperfect lives to and we see that we constantly fall short right we the law of god's word is very stringent very strict we see that in deuteronomy deuteronomy is the second um well it's the final of the pentateuch but it's like the second law as they say because it reinforces the the ten commandments and it goes into even deeper um instructions for the for israel but now we're under the new covenant we're following the same law but we know that we cannot fulfill the law. That's why Christ came and stood in our place and took the brunt of sin. And now we're washed in his blood and we are made clean by that. So that's, that's such a, it's a great thing to, to rejoice in. All right. Uh, let me get to my notes here. I apologize if I got a little off track here. All right. So we, we covered special revelation. So let me make sure we get all this correct, wrapped up beautifully. So through God's written word, his people may overcome error, grow in sanctifi- sanctification, minister effectively to others and live abundant lives as God has intended us. So we see this through special revelation. Let me make sure we're hitting this right. Um, so we see that God has revealed himself to us through miracles and signs. We also see this through dreams and visions. And there, these are also known as through the, theopanies. I hope I said that right. It's this is appearance of God in tangible form. And so we see this also through the prophets and the greatest prophet we know of, which is Jesus Christ, and through the written words of God in the Bible. So that is the definitions of special revelation. So some of the theophanies that I want to, I want to touch on this real quick. So type of special revelation through the theophanies was what we saw in, in Abraham, right? Remember who showed up and talked to Abraham? Right. Right. They say that was Christ incarnate. Uh, then you also see to Isaac and also to Jacob, and also to Moses. Remember what happened to Moses when he asked to see God? What, 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 what happened there with Moses? Right, right, right. And so uh, what, I think what John MacArthur said it best is what, when God passed by, uh, you know, he said that Moses actually saw the train of his robe 
not 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 the necessarily the back not like god's backside but just the train of his robe and there was just that much glory that was beholden that he that the rock uh was that's why moses was placed in the rock so that he wouldn't wouldn't die in the presence of god and then also we see dreams and visions uh does anyone remember jacob's ladder <laughs> that was a dream and a vision that that god carried out and then also daniel uh, remember daniel oh you can also think also to he was thrown in the he was thrown in the well and then sold into slavery. Uh, Joseph, right, right. Remember the testament of his faithfulness to God, and yet, yet Joseph knew to be faithful to God, and yet there wasn't any example for him to work from, and yet he knew that God would sustain him, and he relied on God to to bring him to where he was. And then remember when he was talking to his brothers, God, even though you intended evil, God intended it for good. And I was sent ahead to, to secure grain for you during the time of famine. And now as you see miracles and signs, we got the burning bush, bush, the flood, plagues in Egypt, parting of the Red Sea. And those are just some of the examples of what we see of miracles and signs in the Old Testament as revealed to us. And these all continue to point forward towards what Jesus was coming to finally and ultimately do. And then we also have the sufficiency of special revelation. So the special revelation of God through his written word, the Bible goes beyond the natural revelation. So the Bible is sufficient to lead one to salvation, but does not reveal everything about God to man. So we just covered 2 Timothy. And, and so we also remember, though, that not script, Scripture doesn't reveal everything to us about God, right? We're reminded of this. At times we are reminded that we're not going to gain the full knowledge of God because some things are less secret to us. I know there's some struggles with uh, predestination, election. There's some areas of there that I'm still wrestling with that I don't completely understand, but I think ultimately at the end of the day, at least for me, I have to like just let, surrender some of those things to God and let him, let him just be God and be holy and be just and merciful. And I, and I rest in that, knowing that God is ultimately the sustainer and the author of my faith, but yet I'm still working through some of those things because uh, those, those are good topics to kind of uh, to wrestle through. All right, I believe that covers it. So any, any questions on natural revelation or special revelation? Okay, very good. All right, so let's, so let's dig into, now that we've covered the revelation, let's dig into how does inspiration work? How does, how does, how do, I mean, how do we have the Bible today? I mean, how do we have the 66 books of the Bible that we have today. Why is it just the books of the Bible that we see in the Old Testament, just the books of the Bible we see in the New Testament? Because we see other false religions bring out like, hey, there's, we forgot about this book and this book over here. We've got this extra Bible here. What do you got to say about that? Right? Uh, does anyone know what, uh, what belief, uh, what, what uh, religion, false religion brings those claims out? Of, that you know, we've forgotten certain parts of Scripture, the canon of Scripture. Yeah, okay. What was that? Yes, okay. You're right. And then the Mormons, right? There's a, they got their own the Book of Mormon. All right, so what we're going to look at is we're going to dig into the inspiration of, of Scripture. So Exodus 34, 27 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you in Israel. So here we see Moses being given the instruction, write these words down. So let's talk about that. What does that mean? So in this case, so God, God dictated these words 
for, for Moses to write down. So there's a dictation. So we see that Moses captured what God was saying. So these words were captured, and then they were shared with God's people for the special revelation to his people, like the Ten Commandments. Because the Ten Commandments, we know, weren't given to other nations. They were given to Israel. All right, so 2 Peter 1. Let's, let's jump over to 2 Peter chapter 1, and let's take a quick read of that. And this is going to ex- expose some more truths for us. All right, 2 Peter chapter 1, 19 through 21. So we have the prophetic word strongly confirmed. You will do well to pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dismal place until the day draws and the morning star rises in your hearts. First of all, you should know this. No prophecy of scripture comes from one's own interpretation. Because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, moved by the Holy Spirit, men spoke from God. All right, so we're going to use that as our launching point to dive deeper into the sufficiency of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture, and the clarity of Scripture. Excuse me, the clarity of Scripture. So 2 Peter 2, uh, I apologize, 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, so right where we see it, that, that's a good launching point for us. All right, so, so we see that men were chosen by God, but they were carried along by the Spirit, as we see, and and through the Spirit, they communicated God's Word, and it was written down. Now, we know that these men were not like, it wasn't a robotic, like, um, kind of like, you know, like what a, what, what you, how you put into a computer, but it was more the personality of the writer was captured through their, through the, through God communicating through them. Uh, I, uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to find the quote, but they were talking about the two different prophets when they wrote Matthew compared to Luke. They talked about Matthew's Greek was more, or Latin, I believe what it was recording, was far more eloquent than how Luke wrote it. I, I know I'm, I'm afraid I'm butchering it, but what, what the point being is was Matthew wrote his scripture still under the influence of God, but it was different. It was, it was what was the word I'm looking for? It was, it was... Um, significant that you could tell, okay, yes, Matthew wrote this compared to Luke. So there was a separation. So it's just like if, if Ben and I were to write two essays, they would be separate because they would have their own personalities. Would, you'd see Ben's writing personality in it, and you'd have my writing personality. It's the same way when God was carrying them along in the writing of Scripture. So we, we, we see through that. But yet God was 100% accurate in the dictation to them, even though they were they, they try to claim, like, oh, well, there could have been an error. There could have been a grammatical error. There could have been something lost in translation. But God sustains his word, and so he ensures that none of that takes place. And that's, that's encouraging. That's encouraging to know. To know, excuse me. So as such, Scripture itself depends, uh, demands its place as the sole source of, our, of, of authority. So the inspired word of God serves as God's spe- special revelation, as we've talked about earlier, a revelation by which he reveals particular particularities excuse me about about him his will his creation humanity sin salvation etc so but we've kind of hit on some of those already so this is why we go to the sole source of the bible as our as our foundation for our faith so so we also we also remember when jesus was being tempted um just to kind of hit more on scripture here when jesus was being tempted by satan did Satan use God's word as well? You're right, incorrectly. You're right. And how did Jesus counter Satan's Satan's attacks? 
correct application of scripture. Absolutely. So we can see that Satan will attempt to use, he will not attempt, he will use scripture against us. And he loves to counterpunch. He loves to skew God's word just a little bit. Just get us a little bit off to the left or to the right. But yet, and, and we're warned against this too, and especially in Revelation. Uh, Revelation warns against adding, adding to God's word. Ooh, I'm afraid I got mixed up in my notes, but we'll, we'll press on. All uh, right, here we go. I found it. All right, so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that a little later because I kind of jumped a little bit ahead. But just kind of remember that in Revelation, Revelation talks about adding to God's word because we know the canon of scripture has been closed. It's no longer being added to. So sometimes when you hear some folks say, well, God told me, it kind of calls into question like, all right, well, if God is telling you this, this should be a benefit for the entire church. So that's kind of the argument, the line of argument concerning when when someone starts. But I mean... that's a whole other issue that we can discuss, but uh, we, we can talk more about that later. So anyway, I apologize. I'm not trying to get off topic here. So the inerrancy of Scripture, let's get back to that. So the doctrine of inerrancy of Scripture means that the Bible is entirely truthful and reliable in all that it affirms in its original manuscripts. Another way of saying that is that the Bible does not affirm anything that is contrary to fact. So the question then comes, well, what is fact? How do we know what is fact? How do we know what is absolute? And so this is where we go again to God's word, and we point to God's word as the absolute truth. All right, so inerrancy does not require a 21st century precision or, or any uh, scientific technical language, because we, sometimes we see this, you know, people try to uh, appeal to a higher authority in, in a science or appeal to a higher authority by by some sort of education that was gained. Some people rely on that, rely on, rely on the titles in their name, which there is credit to that, but, there, but there's, a, there's a cap to that. The cap to that knowledge or how far they can go when, they, when they're talking to their technical knowledge. But yet God's word is sufficient in all things. And so the, uh, sh- so the, Chicago, uh, sh- the Chicago statement of biblical inerrancy summarizes what inerrancy does not mean. So let's dig into this. So we affirm the uh, the pri- the prior, the prior, excuse me, I picked a word I could not say. Uh, so we, we affirm the priority of using inerrancy as a theological term with reference to the complete truthfulness of Scripture. So we deny that it is proper to evaluate Scripture according to standards of truth and error that are alien to its usage, usage or purpose. We further deny that inerrancy is negated by biblical phenomenon such as a lack of modern technical precision, irregularities or grammar or spelling, observational descriptions of nature and the reporting of falsehoods, the use of hyperbole and round numbers, the typical arrangement of material, variant selections of material in parallel accounts or the use of free citations. So this is kind of going after all the arguments that are pulled in to try and throw or cast doubt against the inerrancy of scripture. Um, so as I mentioned before, some folks try to say, oh, it's, you know, this long period of time, um, you know, ellipse, I mean, how, how can you share on the accuracy? But yet we see that Jesus fulfilled all of the prophecy 100% in his lifetime. That was foretold about him in the Old Testament. And someone, uh, uh, I think it was a youth pastor back in my youth, uh, explained God fulfilling prophecy, or excuse me, Jesus fulfilling all the prophecy as laying uh, quarters across the, in the entire square footage of of Texas, that's what it was, Texas, and every single quarter is heads up except one, 
and Jesus went out and found the one quarter that had the tails up. So that was, so they just, just kind of give you that, that visual image of what it meant for God to fulfill all of Scripture, uh, all the prophecies that were given for him. He nailed all of them, and he just you know, he walked right out, boom, got it. So, that's, so that, was the, that was the illustration he pointed forward to us. Okay, let's get on to the next thing. All right, so we, t- we covered the, the inerrancy of Scripture. So let's talk about the clarity of Scripture. So the Bible itself acknowledges that some passages of Scripture are hard to understand. How many of you have come across a passage of Scripture that kind of leaves a scratch in your head? <laughs> Did you remember one, David, that recently that got you? Okay. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. Right. Um, so um, that, that is hard to understand. So, so, let's, so we're referring to some aspects of Paul's letter. So in general, however, with the illumination of the Spirit, we see like from 2 Timothy, the teaching of the Bible is clear to all who seek understanding with the goal of knowing and obeying God. So, so we have the Old Testament believers were instructed to teach God's commands continually to their children with the exception that they would understand it. So remember, where, where did we read that at? Remember where we read that? Deuteronomy, right, absolutely, because they were reminded, you know, have these commands before you when you lay down, teach them diligently, talk about them when you're sitting in your house. There's this reminder to constantly keep the statutes of God before you. So God's word is said to make wise the simple. So we, we saw that in Psalms 19.7, right? So knowing and studying God's word, God's word reminds us that it makes, uh, makes make the wise simple. But Jesus... Based, based his teaching squarely on Old Testament scripture. Did you, did you all know that? That Jesus referenced Old Testament scripture continually. Remember when, uh, when he was talking to some of the Pharisees, what, what would he say to remind them that he was referring to Old Testament scripture? He, he would say something. As it is written, have you not read? He was reminding them, because we know the Pharisees, they were steeped in Old Testament knowledge. So he was, he was calling them, to recall exactly what they knew, and he was reminding them, and you know, he's making it clear to them. Scripture is clear, and Scripture pointed forward to him. All right. So, because of the basic clarity of knowledge, when Christians disagree over the meaning of a passage, now when I when I when I dug these, got these notes and assembled them, this one kind of hurt a little. So, uh, so here we go. So they can assume that the problem is not with the Bible, but rather with ourselves as either one interpreters and sometimes these misunderstandings are due to various factors such as human sin ignorance uh, of an um, ignorance on enough of the relevant data of faculty assumptions or perhaps trying to reach a definite conclusion about a topic where the Bible has not given us enough information to decide on what the ultimate question is so that's a bit of a challenge for me to kind of square myself with that, to understand that maybe there are times when I am struggling with Scripture, it's, it's because I'm the one that's, that has the shortfall. It's not Scripture. It's, it's myself. Uh, my pride or my arrogance or whatever it is that's getting in the way, it's probably because it's something I'm struggling with. Maybe So it's, so it's just kind of something to keep in mind. So the emphasis of the Bible is not, is not on difficulties in understanding, but on the fact that ordinary believers are capable comprehending scripture for themselves so i mean what, what a great what a, what a great thing to kind of find ourselves in that we all can share the same knowledge of scripture and we can come together and talk about it kind of like we're doing tonight uh, i'm going to try and push through this i don't want to run out of time um that we and then we can just we can talk about it and granted there are going to be things we disagree on but we disagree on it in, in knowing that we can still 
leave and come back and still love one another. And we want to press each other on into love and good works. And I know there's times I've met disagreements with other fellow believers, but I still love them no matter what. And we, we would agree to disagree on some things. And maybe that was something that God was still working with them on. And they were wrestling with it, working through it. And, and it's, it's encouragement to us that we can humble ourselves and encourage each other. Hey, you know, maybe look into this a little bit more. Can I recommend this? But we want to do it in love. And I know that that, that word kind of gets misused sometimes in, in trying to describe how we should speak to one another. But it, it's, I think it truly means it comes from our heart is we just want, we want to help them reach an understanding of, of the truth and knowledge of Christ, not, not, not trying to beat them out or be the one that leaves with the final word. So that's always been a struggle for me, but um, that's what I really try to do. And sometimes my wife reminds me sometimes it's just best to listen. Uh, sometimes I struggle with uh, having a teenager in the house. Sometimes they just, they're talking and they're talking. And you're like, oh man, I got so much I want to say. I want so, there's so much I've, I've walked through so, you know, X amount of years more than you. Just let me tell you how to do it right. But really it's more just me listening, letting them vent, and then they're, they're good. And then so sometimes I, you know, Lila's reminded me of that on more than one occasion. Dad, just let me talk. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah, so, but, um, but I, but really on the inside, I'm like, oh, I, I really want to share. But really it's me just listening. All right. So, so all right. So, right. So, talking about the clarity of Scripture, one thing I want to point out. Uh, you guys all uh, recall Martin Luther, right? We're, we're at, uh, getting towards the end of October. It's kind of the big Reformation month memory, keeping in mind when he nailed the ninety-five theses to the wall uh, of the, the the church in Ver, uh, Worms. Yes, thank you. And what was what was Martin Luther's goal, though? When 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 he had the Bible, what what, he, what did he want to do with it? What do you want to do with, with the Bible? Because the Bible at the time was in Latin. or Yeah, it, so it was, it, was in a, it was in a language that not everyone could pick up and read. And what was John, uh, Martin Luther's goal? Right, right. He wanted to translate it into the, common, into, into the common language of the man plowing the field. His goal was for the man or the boy behind the plow to be able to read and understand God's word. And, and, that, and that right there is a testament to the, the reformers and their goal was that the sufficiency and the clarity of scripture was easy enough for, for a young boy in the field to understand. And that was his goal. And that was, that was what the Protestant reformers wanted. They wanted to translate the Bible into the language of the common people. And at that time, that was the common German. So they believed that all true Christians uh, were, could be priests in their own home. And we, we see that as a representation of, of men in the, in the household. We're called to be the head of the house. And it's, it's meant in the context of the way Christ is the head of the church. Um, we all, like, remember going back to this order and structure. Uh, and I know that's, a, that's completely, uh, that's another discussion for another day about talking about uh, men, men's and women's roles in the church and within the home. But, but God lays those things out for us in, in Scripture. All right, so we talked about the clarity of Scripture. Let's talk about the sufficiency of Scripture. And we have also discussed the, the, uh, the inerrancy of Scripture. All right, so the last one we're going to look at tonight is the sufficiency of Scripture. And then we're going to wrap it up with, with uh, Jesus' view of Scripture. And we've kind of already touched on that briefly, uh, but, but we'll get to it. All right, so the Scripture provides all the words from God that we need in order to know God truly, personally, and everything we need to know uh, we need yeah, everything we need him to tell us in order to live our lives an abundant godly life. So we're, we're reminded on, on several occasions. And, we, and as I mentioned in Psalm 19 and in 2 Timothy 3.15, uh, you guys remember in 2 Timothy, uh, remember what I said, right? Uh, all scripture. And it, but, it, but what was the end part? Because we are given the, the benefit 
of Scripture. But what do you, you all recall what, what, it, what its ultimate goal was? Is there? Right, right, equipping. And then, and, that, and like it says, absolutely equipping, but also it makes us complete. How, I mean, how often do we, do we push through life looking for some um, grains of completeness? I know I struggle with it sometimes at work. Because we're always in a work, performance-based work. Is, I mean, that's how the military is. How are you doing this year? Are you doing better than you did last year? Oh, you're failing this year. I mean, I, mean, I have to sit down and give you know, feedback uh, to, to the individuals I, I'm in charge of. And I have to tell them how they're doing by a matrix of what the Air Force thinks or what the Air Force lays out you should be performing. And I, I have to tell them, like, sometimes I have to tell them, like, you're not, you're not doing very well in these areas. And I have to be clear with them on how and then I have to help them understand how to get to where ultimately what my interpretation of what the Air Force wants them to be so it's this constant reminder of I'm always incomplete but yet we see that God's word completes us and it encourages us to be equipped for every good work and that and that's that's just a strong reminder so all scripture is breathed out by God and remember it's profitable for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness. So God commands us that nothing will be added or take away from the Bible. As I mentioned before, let's get into this. Remember we see Satan has, was adding to God's word. As, as David pointed out, he was misinterpreting it. So he's trying to twist it and look at it the wrong way. So let's dive into that real quick. Uh, and this is actually going to be in Revelation 22, 18 through 19. So let's, let's look a quick look at this. And and some of the warnings concerning adding to scripture, which is not meant for us, uh, which is not meant to be done. So it says here in Revelation 22, 18 through 19, I testify to everyone who hears the prophetic words of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this prophetic book, God will take away his share of the tree of life and the holy city written in this book. So this is the book of Revelation, but it's still a strong reminder because what, what do you know about Scripture? All Scripture is what? It's breathed out by God. And so we know that if this, if we're talking about just the book of Revelation, we can then logically apply it to all of Scripture because if all Scripture is breathed out by God, this is also know that Revelation is breathed out by God. Thus, you know, if we're trying to miss and, you know, add and, or add or take away some things, um, you know, in other books of the Bible, this is a strong reminder for us to resist that temptation so uh, but there's also a secondary sense that it says may be applied to the Bible as a whole as I mentioned before so we want to be careful with that so uh, we want to kind of stray away from the temptation sometimes to, to add to that and, and unfortunately my, my, my sister would uh, she would say well God told me she would uh, she, she's, she's kind of going through a rough patch in her life and so she was trying to figure out like how she ended up where she was so she would she would miss she would incorrectly say, well, God told me, God told me. And I was like, oh, okay, hold on. So we would we'd kind of get into that a little bit. But it was, that just kind of reminded me of, of times when we've heard other people say, well, no, God, what God is really saying is like, okay. So we want to listen closely to when we hear words like that. And we want to, we want to take what they're saying, do what the Bereans did. Because remember what the Bereans did when, uh, it, was, it was Paul, right? When he showed up and he was... He was preaching to him, and they, they took his message, they took it to Scripture, and they, they compared it. I, I hope I didn't get that wrong. But, but the Bereans were commended for doing that, for saying, like, okay, you're coming to us with, a, with, with, with the gospel, 
but let's compare it to God's word and, and his and what he was saying checked out to be true by the Bereans, but the Bereans ran it against scripture. So believers, so we want to remember this. We want to find freedom and encouragement in the, in the knowledge that God has provided all the absolute authoritative instruction that they need in order to know him and live as he intends. I mean, he wants us to flourish. He wants us to live in his promises. So, you know, he encourages that. And, but he also knows, hey, he's like, promises come with good things and there's also promises of straying away from scripture you know if we you know god reminds and when jesus reminds the pharisees if you look at a woman with lust in your heart if you if you murder in in your heart you have done it so this is a reminder to us to constantly guard ourselves against the persuasiveness of sin all right so so just a quick reminder believers should be satisfied with what scripture teaches and what it leaves unsaid that's a bit of a struggle it's definitely for me is we, you know, like uh, I think John MacArthur pointed out once, like wouldn't it just be easy if the Bible said you, you shouldn't be drinking beer on a certain day or you shouldn't, you know, play or you shouldn't go gamble, you know. But yet it, the Bible gives us Christian liberties as well, but it also sets parameters for us, but yet it gives us the liberty and freedom to move within those areas. But it clearly defines where to stay and where not to go. So it's such so it's, it's an encouragement. We're not like... Not, not given a rigid confinement, but yet God also says, or Jesus says, excuse me, narrow is the way. I am the door and the way, you know, few will find me. That's a, so it's a strong reminder that we are constantly to be on guard. And yet he says, broad is the way, broad is the road to destruction that leads to destruction. I'm slightly paraphrasing, uh, but, um, but, but that's a good reminder for us. So, th- so we know that there are secret things to the Lord, our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, and that we may do all the words of the law. And we see this in Deuteronomy. Is that it's, it's an encouragement to us uh, from Deuteronomy. That, that was a section I just read, Deuteronomy 29, 29. If you want to look at it again later on, it's talking about the secret things are for the Lord our God, but the revealed things to us are for us and for our children forever. All right, so that covers that portion. So let's take a quick look at Jesus' view of Scripture. We've kind of already been hitting on that a little, uh, let, so let's let's blow it open before we... Or we run out of time here. I appreciate you guys' patience with me on this. Uh. All right, so the most convincing reason to believe the Bible, that the Bible is inspired, inerrant, clear, and sufficient, is because that it is what Jesus believed. So his teachings assumed that the Old Testament was the authoritative word of God. That's a, it's kind of a strong reminder, right? So we're, we're claiming that Jesus Christ is the is the savior of our lives. He's redeemed our souls. He's washed us in the blood. And yet sometimes we see some Christians struggle with what's in the Old Testament. And Jesus said, boom, the Old Testament is authoritative. And how do we know it's authoritative? Because Jesus mentions individuals from the Old Testament by name. So, and then we also remember in, uh, in Matthew 5, 17 through 18, I'll go ahead and read it for us. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not a iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. That was Jesus talking there from Matthew 5, 17 through 18, reminding us, look, I'm not here to undo the law of Moses or what was prophesied in the Old Testament. So Jesus referred to dozens of individuals from the Bible. There were events he referred to. You know, he, re- you know, he mentioned Jonah being in the belly of the fish for three days. He talked about Noah. He talked about Moses. He talked about Abraham. 
And so, so it says, uh, so Matthew 19, 4 through 6 says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So we see that in, in Genesis, right? Where, where, where God held the first wedding ceremony between Adam and Eve. That's what I like to refer to it as. Uh, but, but, he, but, but he said, so there are no longer two flesh but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And that was Jesus reminding us of what he, of how he saw the unification in marriage and what that meant. So Jesus not only assumed that the creation story was true, he also freely quoted words from the Old Testament narrative narrator as words that God himself said, and it is not uncommon for Jesus' theological arguments to be deepened on the truthfulness of the Old Testament account. So, um, so I encourage you to jump into that. I've got, I've got more uh, so Matthew, uh, Matthew 5 has a lot of references where, where Jesus calls back to the Old Testament. Matthew 12, 24, we also see it in Luke 4, uh, chapter 11, and also John 8, just for a few references. So I can give those to you afterwards if you want to dig more into that uh, for your own study. So, and then lastly, Jesus' view of the Old Testament was the Word of God and how it aligns with the way the Old Testament regularly speaks of itself. So this kind of calls back again to 2 Timothy as that reminder. All right, so Jesus saw his entire life as the fulfillment of Scripture. And as we said before, he fulfilled all the prophecies we see in Isaiah 53, how that clearly outlines what Jesus went through. And he fulfilled every, every word, every prophecy in Isaiah, Jesus fulfilled. All right, and just to wrap this up. All right, here we go. Uh, so... So just kind of just kind of bear that in mind. Uh, Jesus' consciousness of his identity as God the Son. So Jesus saw his teachings as no less divinely inspired than the Old Testament. So Jesus taught with an authority that distinguished him from other teachers of the law, and he interpreted the law on his own authority, <clears throat> on his own authority rather than depending on the rabbinic sources. Uh, you all remember portions of Scripture where Jesus would speak, and then well, what was the crowd's reaction? When, when Jesus would speak, after they would hear him speak or preach, what, what was their reaction? Wow, yeah. Yeah, they were just amazed. Like, wow, he speaks with such authority. And yet, and this was, this is, this is was Jesus speaking from his authority because, because he was speaking from the authority of the Old Testament. He was speaking differently than how the uh, Pharisees and scribes were. So Jesus viewed both the Old Testament and his own teachings as the word of God. The New Testament uh, apocalyptic witness was a result of, of Jesus giving his disciples authority and power through the Holy Spirit to in, impart spiritual truths in writing no less than, than by word of mouth. So that's just a reinforcement of, of the inerrancy of Scripture, the clarity of Scripture, and the sufficiency of Scripture. So Jesus took Scripture to be the authoritative word of God upon which he based his entire life. Those who follow Christ are called to treat Scripture both Old Testament and New Testament together in the same way. So that's an encouragement for us is to view Scripture in its totality as the, as the Word of God breathed out and in how it's an encouragement for us and it is a, and it makes us complete and it drives us to be, to be encouragements to one another when we see our, our each other you know, kind of misstepping in some areas. And that's a great encouragement. Uh, there could be some areas I'm struggling and, you know, if Ben's strong in that area, I, I would pray he'd come alongside me and just like, hey, brother, let me help you out here. Um, and Greg, too. I know Greg probably has seen some things 
and he's probably learned a lot more than um, well, he's probably learned a lot of things that he could help me with. So I've, I've talked to him about some things, and I've learned I've learned some things just by talking with Greg and the, and what he has shared. I'm like, okay, that's that's really good. It's okay, Greg. <laughs> but I just wanted that to be an encouragement uh, to you, brother. So I appreciate that. So let me close out with uh, with First Corinthians. Oh darn it! I just had it. First uh, Corinthians 15. I want to. I just want to close out with the, with this word, and then we'll pray and pray the rest of your week continues to go well. And such, I'm sorry, I'm just so excited to, to be able to just come together and preach on God's word, especially in the middle of the week when it's just, it's just a good time to come together with God's people and just study God's word. It's just, a, it's just kind of that energy boost to, to push you through the rest of the week. Um, and it's just encouraged me, uh, encouragement to me for sure. So 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm going to touch on 12 through 19. So now if Christ is preached as raised from the dead, who can... How can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, but if, I'm sorry, I lost my place. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is without foundation. And so is, and so is your faith. In addition, we are, we are found to be the false witnesses about God because we have, because we have testified about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. Therefore, those who have fallen asleep in Christ also have also perished. If we have placed our hope in Christ for, excuse me, for this life only, we should be pitied more than any more. So this is a reminder when we are challenged in our faith, know that, that we stand upon the word of God, the true foundation, the solid rock of Christ, and his preaching is, is true. It's inerrant, it's sufficient, and it's an encouragement to us because by this logic, if it was not true, then as I said at the very end, we should be pitied more than anyone. We are believing a farce, we are believing a hopeless faith but yet we stand on this and we preach we preach it from the top of our lungs we want to be out there sharing it with with those who are in disbelief and and I, I believe we're, we're reaching a point to where it's going to be very important for us to have God's word hidden in our hearts so I just want to leave that as an encouragement to you um, our children are doing that as well so I'm going to wrap this up sounds like they're done I appreciate your your attention and let's closing let's close in prayer Gracious Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity to study your word, to know that your word is true, know that your word is sufficient. It's, it's perfect for correction, for rebuking, and for ultimately making us whole and complete and for every good work that you call us to, Father. We're thankful for this time that we've had together. Thank you that we can love and encourage one another in good works. And we just pray for our, the remainder of our week as we continue to meditate on your word. Pray it may be before, be before us always. And that we continue to share it with one another and encourage each other. Thank you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen.